0: testing
1: no we've already
0: oh, tested. oh hello hello I'm real inside behind the curtains <laughs> uh, welcome to the first exciting uh, start of 2013 yes uh, I'm Andy I'm Ralph uh, Christmas is a uh, memory um, of long long ago by mm-hmm. now for everyone except, except for them. us because it's in your future <laughs> but your past such as such as the wibbly wobbly timey wimey way of recording these podcasts it's true indeed so as usual on this uh, Premier League of podcasts, uh, uh, which involves discussing uh, aspects of pop culture which are overlooked or perhaps not discussed in the way that they should be, we often like to find uh, little gems and, and bad gems, but generally gems are things that people have never really heard of or may have heard of ob- obliquely. Uh, so our first item on the agenda um, this episode is Transformers: The Continued Generation Two, specifically issue eighteen, but. You ask, there was no Transformers comic called the continued Generation 2. What are you talking about? Ya yeah, bam. And various other things, indeed. So, let's take you back
1: to the halcyon days of 1995, if you were a Transformers fan in the UK. Fleet launched in October, the, the overpriced and actually ahead of its time, Generation 2 comic. Very pricey, gimmicky with Gatefold cover and Gatefold poster. Uh, Highly impractical uh, and not a lot of content for your price point, but would do gangbusters now if it was actually on the shelves. Yes, it would actually. Remarkably prescient. Yes. So it had two issues of original content uh, because they couldn't reprint the GI Joe stories that tied into the launch of Transformers Generation Two from Marvel. Uh, These were written by Simon Furman, drawn by Robin Smith, and. Then it went into US reprints, as is tradition with Transformers comics, Uh, it picked up the reprints from issue 4 of the US Marvel comics, so you got your first real shot of G-axis and the the Cybertronian Empire, and it sadly ended with issue 5, with, on the back cover, the lies, never the end, and the battle continues. You know, that bullshit that comic publishers speak to hopeful children and adolescents
0: everywhere that think it will come back. Along with the other one where it says Inside, exciting news about this comic. Yes. We're being cancelled and inventory is going into another comic until we run out of it. Yes. So, but in the contents page
1: of issue 5 it pointed out that there was a fanzine which had uh, Hasbro's tacit approval to continue because it was with most fanzines not all, is that there was no profit made. This was done to obviously just out of a love of Transformers and wanted to tell stories because for most of us, there wasn't enough of them and the stories weren't really... Uh, a friend of ours, Martin McVeigh kind of puts it, put it quite well, is that the reason that Transformers is mined so often for fan fiction and fan comics is there's a lot of ideas but they aren't fully rounded or well closed off. Yes. Say, like Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings... Mm -hmm. which is a very closed off universe that Tolkien had done all the things for. So the opportunities to expand on that by people out with it are limited to say the least. But Transformers had lots of threads that were kind of started and abandoned or just not fully realised that for anyone with uh, a love of the characters and, and the setting and with a little bit of imagination or in some cases with fan uh, fiction, a lack of imagination, <laughs> and I not could, some of it. Uh, could go on and, and tell stories based on this, so, and Martin was obviously involved with the continued generation 2 back in the day, but the uh, mainstay behind it was uh, Mr Matt Dallas, a friend of the show, hello Matt, and hello Hello to uh, Nick
0: Roach as well, who, who was you know, also involved, yes.
1: uh, who made his
0: big impact in later issues of this. And I suppose a bit more of the, the context for uh, it for newer people or people who have come into Transformers fandom of A Capital Life um, in later years past the, the print the yeah. print fanzine
1: won't exist now because we, we are involved in usually we produce them for conventions and meetups because the days of having to post things out it's become prohibitively expensive and with the internet there's an immediate save if you've got a story to share you can Quite easily create a PDF yeah. or a digital ebook or what have so, you. So, so while, while there
0: are still fanzines produced digitally and in print, uh, and I'm sure in other countries as well, as well as the UK, um, you tend to find with a lot of the fan community, so to speak, um, you had like the mosaics, I suppose, maybe one of the more high profile ones, uh, where it's often very art orientated um, or kit bashes or the like, you don't tend to see as much fan fiction as you used to. Um, but two things to bear in mind in continuing Generation 2 in terms of context. Firstly, at the time, despite what the internet might tell you, Transformers toys never went away and were still very much an ongoing financially viable concern. But in terms of the fiction that went along with it, uh, the officially licensed fiction had died, the comic had come and gone in this original format and come and gone again in Generation 2, uh, particularly in UK, very briefly. So pretty much at the time you could you're reasonably expected to think, well, that's it really. If we want new stories, we have to do them ourselves. We've had eleven,
1: yeah. 11 years of a, a, yeah, a licensed yeah. comic in the, one form or another. The, the, in
0: the context of the time, um, the idea that the licensed comic would come back was unlikely. Um, in the in the extreme, and in that way, it sort of relates a bit to a sort of like the Doctor Who fandom in the nineties, and even some of the professionally produced Doctor Who stuff in the nineties, where. For that fandom the tv show was over people continued to do these in their own format so that's kind of what happened specifically in the UK with uh, G2 as people made fanzines you also have to take in context as well the age of many of the people involved uh, a lot of people were sort of uh, young teens uh, young adults as well um, and it's before people have well jobs lives, careers babies mortgages Extraneous amounts of Lego, that kind of thing. So <laughs> it's the kind of age where a lot of people um, feel very invested in fan fiction and have a lot of time for it and also a lot of creativity. And you still see it today in things like um, well, Twilight films, for instance. Twilight books are not a cup of tea, but they have a thriving uh, fan fiction community around them of people their in their teens and early 20s. So that was kind of what was going on at the time. So what we've got here is. Um, and said the fanzine that continued on from the Generation 2 UK comic. This and they picked, but what they yes. did is
1: they actually, actually picked up from the US
0: comic. Yeah, the number uh, With issue 13 being the first of the continued Generation mm-hmm. 2 issues. Yes. Um, so, uh, this is issue 18, or the sixth Transmaster issue, from August-September 1995, for the princely sum of £1 Um, because generally back in the day uh, fanzines people would charge a pound or two which um, pretty much paid for the postage people were not making money off the back of this
1: and for the full copying costs of it yeah because this
0: predates most of us having access to the ability to print them up in our own own homes yeah it's early days of desktop publishing and the like so um, I'm going to shut up for a bit and I'm going to pass the comic to Mr. Trumbull for he is um, even more of a, a diehard G2 man than I such sort a of thing were possible, and uh, I'm going to shut for a bit, and Andy will talk you through the comic. So it was done obviously like the uh, UK comic. So for those that don't know,
1: shame on you. They've been reprinted often enough. Go and sort yourselves out before I we, sort. We've it ranted out. about
0: this before. You can get them easily. So
1: it kind of has a lead strip and backup material that goes along with it. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of look at the backup material first before we go into the lead strip because it is an ongoing story. Yes. So. The backup material has uh, kicks off with you've got a profile of Jazz uh, with a nice drawing by Mr. Dallas uh, with text and layout for fellow fanzine producer Mr. Graham Thompson and friend of the show. Hello, hello, hello to you, Graham. Uh, there are profiles and information on the Cybertronian Empire uh, yeah. produced
0: by Mr. Martin McVeigh. Again, at the time, the kind of things that you couldn't just click on, say, TF Wiki, because it didn't exist. You mm-hmm. find out things like that. And it was also part of the way that people would um, sort of take the fiction and elaborate on it. And also a lot of what the creativity that went on with this fanzine and many other of the Trans Masters fanzines that came out, and even to this day, was people looking at toys on the shelves and going, oh, he's called so-and-so, and it's a tiny wee bio, but who could he be? And making stories up like that so long before you had things like um, Flash and Boss and people like that turning up in uh, wee cameos and comics or even Clinch and Thunderclash and the like, uh, people were looking at these toys and going, I can do a story about that. Yes, Uh,
1: and so, and Martin obviously does a a brief one page text story which is kind of talking, really just setting the scene for the cast of characters who would sort of feature afterwards and slightly introduces some of the toy characters who might who would be picked up from sort of the uh, sort of like Skyquake, and uh, where am All sort of all the characters that kind of sort of vanished between the panels in the comics, and sort of accounted for their fates and where they are. Now, there's also uh, two text stories. There's the tale of Optimus Prime by Mr. Anthony Appleyard, which was a, an unusual text story in that it was based kind of in the UK, mm-hmm. as if someone had managed to create their own version of the Transformers yes. uh, it's available still online on the internet I can't remember mm-hmm. the link but if you I can find can, it, I is I'll it I'll put it in the, the podcast notes. Google is your
0: friend, it was one of the longer running ones I mean, um, by the time I got into Transmasters which was in 2000 CG2 had, had pretty much come and gone uh, at that time, although well, you could still get some of the issues and went into things like Mark Stevens' Matrix fanzine, Prime Sacrifice things like that but I remember the Tale of Optimus Prime was technically still running at the time 'Cause I remember Mr Appleyard actually sent me some chapters yeah. uh, via the magic of email on the old um Transmasters UK Yahoo E Group. That's right. A Yahoo E Group member then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, there also was the Transformers Generation
0: 2, the Jackson view by uh, Peter Hodgson. Now this is uh, an extraordinary uh, piece of work, I feel, and it's this is worthy of, of some mention I feel. It's a, it's it's unusually written. It's Basically, retelling
1: the G2 comic from the point of view of G Axis. Yes. But what it is, is it's done almost like a script.
0: Yes, with sound effects.
1: With, with sound effects, but little to, in fact, absolutely no description of what characters are doing,
0: what they look like, <laughs> what's going on. I, again, you know, bear in mind that. Uh, some people were young when they made these tags, and uh, it's also, you know, what was nice about these kind of fanzines is that you tend to get quite a wide variety in it. There's also a hell of a lot of reading in this, I mean, the amount of text, the layout, the layer of of the comic, and I've seen other issues of it over the years, um, is actually quite professionally done. Um, One of the things that winds me up, and I'm sure I've ranted about this before, but Mr Turnbull agrees is, I hate overly cluttered design in publications on the cover or inside, because it's just a visual mess. Yes, because basically what you're telling me as the reader, yeah.
1: if you have all the bells and whistles, is you're not all that confident
0: about the text or yeah. story you're telling me. The clearer it is at a glance to look at, the better it is. Simple design works better. Yes. You know. K-I-S-S. There's also the Informer, which, ah, was, yes. which existed in a number of forms over the years
1: uh, with pages inside uh, CG2 and other fanzines, as well as being a one-page newsletter on its own, That's right. which just kept you up to date with fanzines both in the UK and, and sometimes in the US, and sort of toy news. Uh, what, was,
0: what was the toy news of that time then? Uh, toy news
1: for the UK was LaserRod Ups Prime to find out the Toys R Us uh, from Prince of Summer 29.99. Hey! Uh, and in the US, the recoloured GoBots are started to be in America now with Prime and Megatron uh, coming out and obviously advising that because they, they were repaints of Firecracker and Blowout that those two have sort of dropped off the shelves and in Japan the G2 line started to appear again with the three cyber jets and the four illuminators or laser rods uh, and say just little bits about what fanzines are there and there's a wee about the meetup that was happening yeah, as well Yeah, there was the Transfer, Transmaster UK meetup uh, that was going to be happening in, at that point in Birmingham by uh, Sven Harvey Become, has over yes. time become kind of the hub in the UK of Transformers fandom. Uh, based pretty, pretty much has been, yeah. Because obviously auto assembly uh, has been based there. And also for those of us, we go down there quite a lot just to, to gather and assemble and enjoy the uh, company and the ongoing quest to get into the triad karaoke brothel. That's true, one day uh, we'll
0: get past those people at the top of the stairs. I just
1: want to out a song and that's it. not it? To explain, I'm sure we mentioned before there is uh, obviously one of the hotels of choice that we use when we're down there there is a karaoke bar in, in Chinatown and every time we've went there we've been stopped from getting in but this has been, we've made further progress <laughs> yes, sure. each time, and I should preface that generally mob handed mostly guys, yep. but none of us are too overly aggressive or drunk, we're all in a good no, mood because when you,
0: when you go for the karaoke thing, the crucial thing about karaoke is you have to be in the sweet spot of I'm a bit tipsy, but I'm not drunk.
1: Yeah. I'm drunk enough that I'm not gonna feel self conscious, my mates are there gonna cheer me on, we'll have a laugh, and it will just be just be a, a bit of panel. Indeed. So we keep so each trick we, we go there we're further in. And the idea is and it has to be a front for something because of the way <laughs> these people just swarm on us and escort us out. It's true. but we'll get there in the end. <sighs> yeah But this was
0: more innocent times when yeah. the the ages of people involved were um, and their early teens, so yes, it's like there was alcohol. They were, no, they were <laughs> yeah. talking about uh, meeting up at Sega World and getting food in hey, innocent times. Yep. But pages like that, talking about um, upcoming toys and toys coming out, again, the context of the time, were actually quite exciting because, yes, the internet was around in 1995, I know because I was on it. Um, it's fair to say with Transformers, there wasn't a huge amount online. There were not there weren't even that many that even knew the internet existed. I remember the many, many conversations I had with people in 1995 about the internet, and people would either go, it sounds too complicated, I don't believe it exists, or I don't see the point of it. How times have changed. <laughs> yes, how times have changed indeed, where both people have phones uh, and double up as uh, internet devices. But yeah, so you would get your, um, your fanzine or your newsletter, and it would actually tell you what's coming out. And for many fans as well, you would hear about these mysterious toys from places like Europe, Japan, America, and you'd never see them. The only evidence you had for them were names and a list.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, there's also a profile for uh, Rook, who was a non toy sport character in the G2 comic. he was. Written by Andy Dornan with, again, art again by Matt Dallas. Yep. And so, we'll go to the story now, itself. After the obligatory okay. contents page. Yes, okay, the contents page. This is important. Uh, very cleanly laid out with a nice uh, design by Michael Payne. Uh, the text was written by Andy Dornan. Uh, the illustration is uh, just a little snippet of the cover. The cover, I should say, for this issue has uh, a whole rabble of shadowy Transformers uh, looking like uh, they're a mix of all and of Decepticons fighting where the fallen body of Fortress Maximus, is, you can see, is a large, city-sized hand outstretched, while a slightly damaged Ratchet, along with Blaster and Perceptor, all all carrying guns and looking a little bit perturbed, and Ratchet saying it reminds me of that last Earth nightclub I went to, and it's got text that's saying Cybertron, not a very nice place to be. It's true, it's not a very nice place to be. So, transformation. The planet Cybertron, we've always been told by the Autobots and Decepticons, is a mechanical paradise. I'll to their own world, the Transformers enjoy the golden age of peace and happiness. The Autobots only wish to, is to return there. Even Huffer's moaning is supposed to be caused by being away from his own planet. But this is only one side of the story. No ordinary humans have ever been there. Until now. Buster Whitwicky has learned that his brother Spike may have been transported to Cybertron, and so he's gone there in search of him. A world without food, water or carbon-based life of any sort is hardly a paradise. Under the control of the Autobots, is it still a planet of peace? Or are violence-crazed warriors hell-bent on each other's destruction? now that their enemy has been defeated Buster could want to come straight back to Earth unfortunately they may not be in Earth to come back to having captured Hot Rod's team and failing to cyber form Nebulas Decepticons Phoenix and Rook are determined to finish the work that Jax has started and add Earth to the Decepticon Empire in particular to destroy San Francisco again following its restoration by the last Autobot how are these events related Be on and find out Ooh. so basically it kicks off where, with San Francisco and you have Phoenix talking to Rook and a random chap, uh, and basically, Phoenix is chastising Rook because he'd reported back that the place had been cleared mm-hmm. with Jaxus, who in issue 11 of the US comic, uh, no, 10 in fact. Ten. Ten. 10, yeah, issue 10 in the backup Tales of Earth basically nuked it from orbit and wiped the city off the map, and probably one of the most violent uh, events in Transformers history. It's great, love well. that.
0: I like all the people
1: dying. Yes, yeah. and Grimlock with his big grim bandana on. Finally it's it. So finally, just so nineties. It is really <Fairly laughs> is. Uh, and basically, Rook's like, well, yeah, it was I, sh- I saw Salvage the mission tape himself. This whole area was a crater. So obviously, something's happened. They can still detect the presence of the background radiation from the weapons. So Phoenix obviously knows that Autobots had to have had a hand in this restoring it. Now, actually, what happened was in the first. CG2 issued, the Optimus Prime commanded the last Autobot to use the last remaining stores of energy left over to him from Primus yep. to restore the city and all of its inhabitants. Indeed. So, as Rook and Co are wandering about, in the background, Sideswipe in his cool G2 black colours and Guzzle, uh, who at this point was just a no sparking bot and not the popular character he is it's now. True, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, they're looking to take them out uh, Guzzle's basically uh, saying you need to get out of there and warn Prime because you're faster than me I'll try and stop them and stall them for a while and obviously uh, he's as a Lamborghini Kundash, he's faster than a tank protests, but in the end realises the, the logic of the argument Guzzle goes out tries to reason them with saying that there's a value to humans, they're sentient just like the Autobots and Decepticons because what we need to preface here is the decept- the Cybertronian Empire are second generation Decepticons, but with a difference. Yeah. Their goal, as in the G2 series, is that they wish to seed all life, to all planets, to have life like them. So they basically colonise and cyberform the planets to basically make them carbon copies of Cybertron, and they they procreate through what's called biomorphic reproduction. It transpires that at a point in Transformer society, uh, Transformers life. The Matrix was not the only means to create life that they were able to bud off but it was cut off after a point and the reason for that is it was a dilution of self to the point that it created amoral creatures who view all other life that is organic as not life Mm. so obviously heavy overtones are are sort of that. Nazi style politics Not like
0: the Tory party of today it? Yeah. Yes, actually, <laughs> yes To be perfectly honest yes. Well
1: no because they don't discriminate against the, the poor, poor life Or the rich life Just any life So ah, actually yeah. one up on the Tories Okay. So basically Guzzle goes out to try and say Why not just talk instead of fight You might learn something And instead Rook will Basically kills him oh do they transform, and all the humans that are there just disappear. So we then, we cut back to Cybertron, and we're told the title of the story is Friendly Fire. And uh, Friendly is Matt Dallas, who's the artist, and Fire is Andy Dorman, who's the writer.
0: Hey, the finest Marvel Pun tradition.
1: Yeah. So basically it's saying that Cybertron's the cradle of civilization. It's a technological nirvana and a perfect world, but if you happen to be a robot. And it does look, there are still some battle damage, but it looks a lot better than we previously seen. And Buster, along with uh, Blaster and Perceptor wandering around trying to find uh, Spike. Now, just to explain what happened to uh, Spike, along with Fortress Maximus. Was in issue two, he detonated the energon core of the Ark. Yep. But Megatron, during this, had used uh, a space bridge to his transwork to uh, escape. And the theory is that. Perhaps Spike and Fortress Maximus survived because there wasn't enough debris of them behind on the wreckage of the Ark to account for them. Yeah. So, and obviously Spike isn't just... Buster's saying Spike isn't just a human now, he's a headmaster, so he has been engineered to become an Autobot, uh, kind of, so they should be able to come back. There is a chance. But basically, uh, Perceptor's saying it isn't quite the same and you have to accept that Spike died to kill Megatron. But he's saying obviously Megatron came back because Megatron used his warp gate to get him out of it. Yes, he do? But the gate was activated, so uh, Perceptor's theorised that because Maximus was there, he was drawn to Cybertron. So they're kind of having an argument just now. uh, And basically, at that point in time, a whole host of uh, Transformers start coming up and they're all fighting. Mm. And it turns out they were Autobots. those the Combatagons and a uh, host of other Autobots. It turns out that basically there's all hosts of wars going on at this point. Uh, Ratchet appears uh, and basically offers to, to treat the wounded, but he, he, he basically is now passing judgment as a physician that Perceptor and Cole deserve to be repaired, unlike the others who are just fighting for the hell of it. Uh, Ratchet tells them that he knows where Fortress Maximus' body is, but the head isn't there. It's vanished. Mm-hmm. Blaster's always saying, Well, there's no point without a head, let's just fix it and get back. And Ratchet says, Buster's done enough for the Autobots, we're going to go and help him. Yeah. And in a nice little touch, because he's repairing Perceptor, Ratchet transforms from the Sunbow animation to his toy incarnation, thus the additional bits of him become his repair bay.
0: Almost like that repair bay.
1: Yes. Uh, I've talked about this on this and other podcasts actually is that it's a shame that we went when the Sunbow models got introduced into the comic a little bit of the alienness of the Transformers was lost and I don't think it's ever ever really been recaptured there's been some nice touches and some writers and artists have done their bit to try and make them feel a little bit different a little bit otherly or otherworldly sorry but if you go and look at once you get to I would say after Man of Iron because the enemy within is the first story where it's starting to shift towards.
0: Yeah, they still use some toy models. Yeah, to they that, do, I but mean.
1: you can feel the shift is going that way. Yes. Yeah, yeah and occasionally
0: you still see toy models like with Bill Simpson his Prime*, yeah. still so, be like that. But yeah, generally they, they became more humanish. Unfortunately. Yeah.
1: And uh, which is is a shame because they then. Kind of superhero y more like than anything else. Yeah, still enjoyable, but yeah, the, the otherness was, was kind of lost a little bit. Uh, so, Ratchet points out that he goes, Well, he'll take out the repairs, we'll carry on repairing, but he'll take them to the body of uh, Fortress Maximus, but it's too close to tarn the Decepticon's new base. And, but uh, Blaster goes, You mean those main acts stopped shooting for long enough to build a base? Ratch says, no, these are different ones. They're not interested in the fighting. They're built, they're prepared and well-organised. He's never seen the leader, and they're looking to invade the planet. So that's obviously a a none-too-subtle hint. This is the second-generation Decepticons that have actually now established a beachhead back on their own planet. Mm -hmm. Now, they left Cybertron behind because they recognised at the time of the war that it was a, a dead world, and there's no point fighting over it. Their vision was to grow and expand. We now cut to uh, Phoenix talking to the uh, Maximal Maximo via mm-hmm. a communications mm-hmm. device. Yes. Leach Maximo, Maximo only appeared in one one panel in the original comic, and it was the, in issue 12 of the US comic. Yes. And he was a massive, very strange, almost biological-looking Transformer. There wasn't much that you would look at him and say, this is actually machine life, mm-hmm. save for the cables and, and tendrils extending into him but they could have just as easily been tentacles as much as power cables. And he's, in his dialogue, which was uh, in Simon Furman's finest pretentious style, uh, shadowed that there'd be a reckoning at the end, and he was an ancestor to Megatron. Yeah. So giving you the, the, Decepti- the second generation Decepticons are a new threat as such, new to our cast of characters, of Transformers, that we'd, we'd grown up to read and become accustomed to, but very different. Mm-hmm.
0: Really has one panel prompted so much fanfiction. No. Really? really not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's basically it's the next page of just kind of it's a bit of an info dump just bringing people up to speed. Because it's remembering that the key tenet of all good comics, every issue is somebody's first. It's true. So in this one page, it gives you the, the info dumps of obviously uh, nebul- the Nebula Cyberforming Fleet was destroyed by the Quintessons, who are servants of Unicron. Uh, He's concerned that Optimus has led the uh, Unicron to the Empire, uh, which Phoenix speculates is uh, Unicron's an Autobot. and uh, the Maximo just scoffs and says, of course not, but because the Autobot leaders have a subconscious link to Unicron, because they possess the Matrix, which is Primus's link, uh, and he apparently senses that the beginning of a link to the Matrix is one of the Autobot prisoners that uh, Phoenix captured previously, which is... Uh, Hot Rod, like basically saying that he cannot get near the hub, which is the main base of the Maximo because he'll destroy it, and it's far too important to them. So, uh, and it turns out that Cerebros is still alive, and he's been held pr- prisoner by the Maximo, And He's going to transfer him to Phoenix's fleet, but basically saying you do not keep Hot Rod anywhere near me. Uh, but Hot Rod is destined to be the next next mate or leader, and wants to convert him to the because, mm. so here you go. It's a nice little touch that the, the second generation Decepticons aren't about wiping out the Autobots. Yes. They recognise, no, we can use them, we need them. Let's bring them back into the fold. And it's a thread that gets returned to during most of the up until the what happens to the the Empire, which I won't spoil because you can actually find most of the stories online or through several of us kind souls who have CD archives of it. Indeed, us up on various forums and and Twitter if you are interested and we will be able to oblige Yes. is that he wants it, because the match, Maximo says if I can control Hot Rod, I can control the future of the Autobots uh, and as it stands uh, her uh, dialogue with the Maximo is cut off because uh, there's uh, an ongoing issue as the cyberforming teams uh, are basically uh, carrying on their work but she's saying no this isn't important. We don't have to cyberform the Earth. They're gonna get the humans to do it for them. Mm-hmm. So rather annoyingly, Rook disappears. It's the first of the shading of what the future tales where Rook will try and rebel but For he was loyal to Gaxis and Chase under her command. So Hot Rod, Leadfoot and Mattore are taken to the uh, are gonna be taken away to the, the Phoenix's fleet. Now, what happens is Phoenix now starts trying to appeal to Hot Rod's nature, and obviously saying, look, we're here to stop Unicron, which is our grand design. Unicron's the enemy of all life. We recognise our life as the best form suited to combat him. And Hot Rod's like, Unicron's dead. And Phoenix goes, is your generation of Autobots really so naive? Do Do you even know the legend of Primus and Unicron? And it's like, there's not only one, there's more Unicrons to come obviously foreshadowing Transformers the movie mm-hmm. and allowing it to, to come come into play. So we cut back to Cybertron and Ratchet's repairing Perceptor as the, he has Buster and Blaster in his cassette mode on board as they skedaddle towards the massive body of Fortress Maximus. And it's one of the first things, is far outweighs the scale he ever had in the comic.
0: Yeah, it's huge. It's not a gold box size here.
1: And as they're looking at him, he's Basically, he's been heavily damaged, not just by Megatron in in the fight, but he's been looted for components because, well, Mm -hmm. he's a a walking organ factory at this point. The Decepticons are are spotted, and it is second-generation Cybertronians that are there, and they're speaking in their own native dialect, so they don't understand what they're saying. However, Perceptor, being the know-all that he is, says it resembles the pre-Decepticon binary of Tarn before it was destroyed in state games the second Transformers annual text story by James Hill. And the best of one. Yes. Uh, so, mm, I wonder who that could be This. Mm-hmm. We're not telling though. Uh, but he overhears that they're going to get the cerebral casing from Fortress Maximus is being transported from a warp gate uh, to them. And it's like, Buster's like, what do you want my brother? We have to get him back. And Blaster's all, Buster, he's dead. And Seth comes after Maximus, not... But before it can go any further, the random rampaging Combaticons and other characters start appearing. As I say, the brawling's going on. But just before that happens, a portal appears, another warp gate, and two Decepticons come out. And with uh, the absolutely brilliant bit of dialogue, it's Destroy the Savages, and one of the Decepticons comes through the warp gate goes, RRAAR! And it's uh, Fangry, and uh, I believe it's Hunger. Mm-hmm. Of the, yes. the Terracon. Uh, like, so the irony of then calling someone else Andrews is quite, Indeed. quite a nice little observation. Yeah. Uh, and the rest, uh, they're basically telling them to rise above the primitive Autobots and return to serve the Liege Maximo. Ratchet transforms and tells Blaster and that to get in so they can escape, but Buster jumps through the warp gate so he can find his brother. Blaster goes with him. Meanwhile, Rat, Ratchet gets and Perceptor gets shot up, uh, and it ends with Buster and Blaster surrounded by Phoenix and her legions, just as he goes, uh, Buster says, I always thought that Primus designed the Autobots of the Ultimate Force for good in the universe, but if you can't even live together in peace, what hope is there for, for humanity? Uh-huh. Foreshadowing what is the main thrust of CG2 in terms yeah. of that, that Primus wasn't all that good. No. He was a force for life, not good, which is a, a, a nice and sub, a very subtle shape. Yes, a very, very
0: clever way of taking
1: it. It follows very much in the footsteps of Jim Starlin's take on Adam Warlock, where Vegas, his evil future self, was the intended champion of life to stand against Thanos, who was death champion. Indeed. So it's very dense, there is a lot of reading, as you can tell by the fact that we've rambled on about this for about 25 minutes.
0: Indeed. And uh, I mean, I would say as well... Um, having, now listen to Andy's exciting summary. You, you, the thing that strikes me about RCG 2 and a lot of Demons to Transmassive UK stuff in general is that one of the cliches of fanfic uh, which you'll hear if you've never read it <laughs> is, oh it's all about my super cool character he is a badass, he can kill everyone. And that's what generally people think fanfic is and yes there is a lot of that about. But with CG2, and it's it's just people trying to tell stories and continue it. There's very... Yeah, okay, occasionally there might be a wee bit of it. Well, as I expected. think everyone
1: does have to bring their own characters in purely yeah, because... it's. I never really
0: got a sense with the series that it was, I have a cool character, and here is the best. Which, to be honest, um, certain um, official Transformers writers have done. Yeah. Leaving no names. Yes, that, that's the thing. So when, when new characters were brought in,
1: uh, or original as they were, Rook, for example, uh, Phoenix, sorry, for example, uh, it was just to, to plug a hole in that G-Axis had gone and needed someone similar, but she was not overshadowing the cast. No. And yes, they did bring in o- other characters as well, but it still became it was still an ensemble piece.
0: Yeah. So really, I suppose, just to finish up on that, is that uh, if, for, for instance, you're perhaps reading a, a comic called Transformers more than Meets the Eye, by... Yeah. James, James, James Roberts, is that his name? Mm, yeah, yes. so, something like that. Um, or indeed, um, any stuff that think Roche has written, you might find certain similarities, because they basically came up through these types of things. Mm-hmm. And if you like that, then this is probably... If you've not read any fan fiction, or you've shied away from it because... You've, you've heard all of the connotations, and you enjoy more the Morning Meets the Eye series, and you like the tone and the style of it, then you, this is probably some of your best places to start, actually, in terms of having a look at this stuff.
1: And the the one best place to go to find uh, material is the underbase.co.uk, not the podcast, this website came first. It's a work-in-progress database which has a lot of links to the stories, both uh, not in the original uh, fanzine form, but the uh, text stories are all usually in PDFs or Word documents, and the comic strip stories are there. And there are CD archives from various uh, TMUK members, which said if, if people are interested, I'm more than happy to oblige in sorting, sorting out indeed, copies, yes. if they like, or indeed putting some of them uh, online if people want to go and uh, just download them. So if you are interested, hit us up in the usual places, which obviously is Twitter for either Ralph and me, uh, at Stardubbing or at Andrew D. Turnbull, or grab us at Full Metal Hero or at the, TMU, the TMUK Forum.
0: Or feel free to accost us in the street.
1: Yes, if you happen to live near us, know where we live, or... did what we look like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, there we go. That's that. So, um, using my careful skills at doing sideways, we will now move into some other perhaps obscure thing related to a well-known brand. Oh yes, yes uh,
1: uh, and I touched on it earlier when we were talking about uh, sort of fan fiction-like is that with the, the source of Transformers, so it can't help, I can't have escaped your notice that there's a, there's a
0: popular uh, film out by uh, uh, Peter Jackson. Uh, I believe it's called The Hobbit, An yeah. Unexpected Journey, yes. which will still be in the cinemas when this goes up. Right. Yes. Now, um, The Hobbit, as most people should know, is the precursor to Lord of the Rings. Well, uh, let's not say precursor, it because... because of the story line. Yeah. the story falls before but I
1: believe I'm thermal. I think it's more that The Hobbit was written and then his publisher said can I have something more so saying it's a precursor is kind of saying that oh you like
0: that's right and I'm wearing some splendid chicken that way I however I'm not because I'm the better man no I am the better man um, so The Hobbit yes yeah, so as you all know it's been adapted into three three hour films uh, by by the makers of, of Lord of the Wings but of course it's not the third the first the first not the first uh, that'll be a country local accent uh, it's not the first time The Hobbit's been dramatically adapted uh, for media um, what people might not know uh, is it was done by the BBC uh, for BBC Radio in 1968 um, yes and it was adapted by Michael Kilgateth Who, who's perhaps better known better known for having appeared in Doctor Who several times like The Carcass and The Mind Robber, but more Famously, uh, he was the cyber leader in two Tomb of the Cybermen. And also in... Uh, Attack of the Cybermen, Cybermen where
1: he is a... a Fandcroller, yes. Or he he, is a,
0: he was a man of considerable presence, by then, shall we say. Indeed, indeed. But we we'll always love him for it. Uh, but uh, he adapted The Hobbit uh, for radio for eight half-hour episodes in good old Monochrome, uh, which were broadcast in 1968. So... Um, it's one of these things that not many people know about it but uh, it can be found very very cheaply it's Uh, the kind of thing through the Audio Go website or via iTunes for downloads about four
1: quid or you can you can buy buy it on CD and again it's actually available in most WH Smith which one of the few places that still has and uh, Waterton's will still have it in the
0: UK sometimes the old tapes still turn up in libraries occasionally I still see the old tape copies um but generally, it's um, it's quite faithful, I would say. It's I said, a eight half-hour episodes. It, it has most of the book in it. It cuts out Tom Bombadil, wisely, uh, as all adapters of uh, Tolkien should do. <laughs> uh, they, and then I always... Um, no, wait a minute. I'm talking... She was in Lord of the Rings. I don't I'm talking about. It tells you... To. So, we're going to use the magic of the interweb, because... the, the ah, I just I had, had, had a, a, a window-licker moment
1: there. The, the magic of Rasmus <laughs> Radio so, so... it is very faithful. There's just a couple of things. Uh, the... just minor changes to dialogue, and some foreshadowing of, of the Lord of the Rings a little bit. Yes. Uh, but, what happened? The, the biggest diffi- difference and divergence is that Gandalf <laughs> now I say Gandalf and I say it like that because that's how the name should be said but in this it's not how do they say it? it's like Gandalf <laughs> and it's like the F just kind of <laughs> if the F gets in there at all it's more as a half R V V rather than an F now the problem that I have with this is it it knocked the fuck out with me as the eight parts went on every time he appears also the fact is at that point in time, Professor Tolkien was alive. If you weren't <laughs> sure how to pronounce the name, you've so got the rights to adapt it. Ask
0: him! Such rage on you. Just shit like that really boils me. I just focused on the fact it's done with charm, lit style.
1: Yes, it is. The, the, the cast are, are fantastic. Uh, again, it's one of these things that... The reason I think it's it was so... Pro- that it's not really well known, is that the BBC had, uh, because of... Uh, well, space for storage and financial reasons wiped shit a lot of the times. That's true. <laughs> and this, again, was one of these things that it, it was wiped. Uh, apparently, the, there's rumours that it was due to a dispute with the Tolkien estate, which I think is probably just more idle speculation than anything else. Or
0: possibly some Wikipedia bollocks. Yeah, as is the
1: case. But eventually, some more favourite uh,
0: recordings were recovered, and it has been uh, cleaned up and re-edited. Now, if you're someone like me... You can tell it's off-air, but I think most people wouldn't be able to tell, to be fair. It's it's reasonably recovered, uh, and they've basically reconstructed the episodes as best they can. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I quite liked it, because for me, um, The Hobbit is a far superior novel to Lord of the Rings. Um, I I much prefer it. I, I like Lord of the Rings. It's a good book. I don't think it's a great book, but I think it's a good book. Whereas I would say The Hobbit is a great book because um, I find the storyline much more fun, the whole quest to get the Dragon's Gold and the Arkenstone um, from the Dwarfmen and so forth. It's just, it's a lot more fun and it's much lighter. And uh, what the adaptation does is it retains the tone of the novel very well. Um, You have the narrator um, trying to tell you the story, occasionally being interrupted by Bilbo. who's kind of like, hang on a minute, kind of like that. which is good. The Chaplain Gandalf is uh, fantastically creepy and sinister, which is Ga- what the, Gandalf, which should Gandalf should be, particularly in The Hobbit where um, he vanishes from the narrative um, about halfway through to reappear at the end, and you know he's been up to stuff basically. You don't know the full thing unless you want to go read dependencies and so on, but it's, it's there that you know he's up to shady stuff shall we say. Possibly, maybe. Um, but uh, there's performance for it works quite well. The Chaplain Bilbo is excellent. Uh, episode 3 is quite a standard because episode 3 is the one that's uh, mostly all the two-hander between Bilbo and Gollum uh, where Bilbo uh, finds the one true ring and again um, the voice of Gollum is quite well done probably quite influential for the chap who played it later for the to so film it was
1: Wolf, uh, a chap called Wolf Morris
0: who was it's a Padma Sambhava and the Doctor Who serial uh, the Bond Snowman yep yeah. yes um, which is what he was mo- uh, mostly known for uh, by people like me uh, so generally it's, it's I would say it's worth a pun actually it's, it's great it, it moves along a fair clip as you would
1: expect from the Hobbit because again once the Hobbit it, again the book does have the start of it is a little bit slow to get out of. once once you get out of Bag End and the Germ- the yeah. adventure and the caper begins it's fantastic it is literally just you won't put it down to be finished. Yeah. Everything moves along and it's a case of one adventure bleeds into another, bleeds into another. So it's not that there's a defined stop, it's just okay, it's a pause for breath, oh shit, something else is about to happen. Mm. No, it's it's fantastic. Uh some great uh voice effect work from the uh radiophonic workshop. Yay. for the for the wargs and and the like. Indeed. And for egos and stuff. So yeah. So, yeah
0: that's great so if if um, if the film isn't your cup of tea um, or if maybe you're not a big reader for whatever reason and um, don't really fancy reading the novel or would struggle to read the novel um, but you want a good something that's quite close to, to the book um, I would say give it a punt actually yep yeah. Um, yeah the only thing I would say again is that because it's mono which was the standard of radio at the time and it's a and off-air broadcast has been cleaned up a bit. There, there is some compression to the sound, particularly during uh, very noisy scenes or battle scenes. It's the audio fidelity, if you're not used to this kind of thing, uh, it might sound a bit tinny or possibly even subpar. But as long as you kind of know that going in, then I think you'll be fine. Uh, if you're expecting um, a more modern, polished production, uh, you won't get that. It's a bit like old-time radio where people will say things like, look over there, the battle is happening and you hear a few clang-clang noises. It's not the fully immersive soundscape, but um, that actually works okay for something like The Hobbit. Uh, because the style of it is using a lot of the text of the novel, it just about gets away with it. So as long as you have that in mind, I think you'll have a good time. Um, yeah, and uh, hopefully it'll pick up a few more listeners, what with the film being out, which, um, to my surprise, I actually enjoyed. I've yet to see it, but plan on seeing it in a couple of I thought it was going to be poo, uh, because I did not enjoy Peter Jackson's interpretation of Lord of the Rings at all, to put a fine point on it. And the idea of taking a, a novel, the third of the length of Lord of the Rings, and making it into three films, which are three hours long, I thought was absurd. Uh, but uh, who knows what second and third ones are like, but I was surprised how much I enjoyed the first one, and actually how pacey it is. Uh, it, was, um, it was great. So, yeah, there you go. So, um, but Hobbit, but... Did the BBC also make Lord of the Rings, Andy? Yep, yeah, in 1981.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was in 26 half-hour stereo
0: installments. Indeed it was, uh, which were later edited um, to more match the, the books' names of the books as they're published. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers and Return of the King. Uh, so that's generally how they're sold in CDs and uh, also available in download. Now, the thing with the Lord of the Rings radio is, um, only speaking for the library system in the west and east of Scotland, it's the kind of thing that was in the libraries quite a lot in tapes. It was never really hard to find. Uh, It was always just hard to get the whole thing because some bugger always had half of it out. Um, So I was only ever able to hear bits of it until fairly recently um, when the downloads became very cheap um, because one of the annoying things about uh, a lot of BBC Radio productions is that, to be honest, until fairly recently, they were always very, very expensive. I mean, Lord of the Rings, each set, used to be like 25 quid each, um, but now you get downloads at £6 each, and it, it makes... I think it's starting to make a lot of audio drama more accessible uh, for people to, to give a dip. So, this being 1981, has uh, a more modern uh, feel to the production. Uh, as Andy said, it is in full stereo. Uh, it's not quite the full immersive soundscapes, that like of so Dark Maggs sort of pioneered in radio, or oh, the Big Finish to, apparently without much effort at all, on a weekly basis. Um, so there is, again, still a wee bit of, look, there's an army having a fight over there, but the, the techniques have moved on quite a bit, so the scenes are slightly more immersive. Uh, there's a bit more music in it uh, as well, which helps. And... Uh, Generally again very faithful to, to the original novel. I and I get, because it's so faithful to the original novel, I think it shares some of the flaws in that um, it is too long. Yeah. Some of the dialogue is rather portentous and ridiculous, depending on who's saying it.
1: Uh also again, Tom Bombadil. Yes, hence my confusion <laughs> earlier.
0: Um but I mean I would say I mean despite you know some of my criticisms of it, um because it's so well performed. I actually got on with it a lot
1: better than I thought it would. I I've just recently finished listening to it. Now it's I didn't hate the Peter Jackson films and I enjoyed watching them. But they didn't really connect with me all that much compared to see the book did when I read it and these these radio plays did. The Battles of Helm's Deep I happened to be listening to predominantly while I was out at night walking the dog and it was a bloody surrender. Indeed. So, it shares uh, the other great Lord of the Rings a- uh, adaptation is of course the Ralph Bakshi film.
0: Which to me is still the best
1: version of the film, by I actually you know, love it. Fantastic, a lot animation. Uh, and there's a couple of holdovers from that particular film into this pr- the BBC production. S- specifically, uh, Michael Graham Cox, who played Boromir, yep. and Peter Woodthorpe, who played Gollum. Or now,
0: it's fair to say, if you've ever heard uh, Peter Woodford's uh, Gollum, either in the video version or, as you say, in the animated Lord of the Rings, it's fair to say um, that either Andy Serkis and or Peter Jackson, are, well, could they use the word copy? Yes I could, or heavily could. the. the I think the vocal performance that Andy Serkis does, leaving aside his movements, but just the vocalisation of Gollum in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I think his performance is actually excellent. I think it's very good. I don't take anything away from what he's doing because if you listen to what he's doing vocally with his voice and the type of dialogue Gollum has, that is very, very hard to do, even if you are emulating a previous um, actor. So let's not take that away. But the same token, it's bloody copied. Uh, it is is incredible in fact to the point where I think if you see the animated film and don't know when it was made um, or hear this radio version maybe somebody gives you a copy or get a and you think it's a more recent thing you will think this copies Andy Serkis' Gollum that's how close it is I I think
1: though there is a key difference uh, between the two portrayals is there's when Gollum's doing sort of the good Smeagol thing there's a slight bit of British plumminess that creeps in. Yeah, that's a bit There's more of that, yeah. I think Circus is always constantly a bit more sibilant in his delivery mm-hmm. than yeah. Peter Woodthorpe. So but I think, yeah, you're right, he does base it on it, but in all fairness, it's because it, it's a good, it's how, having heard it, it's like, you can't imagine there being too much no. of a different portrayal to that that would actually work without it being overly theatrical yes. or forced.
0: Yeah, the only, the only problem I had with the voice of Gollum in the radio version, which didn't bother me in the animated version, is because Gollum has so much dialogue and they keep most of it in, he has long talking scenes, there are times where that voice grated the fuck out of me in my headphones. That, when you've heard it for about five minutes in a row, you're just like, you know what, enough. Um, and the dialogue is really repetitive and I think they could have pared back some of that to make it work a bit better for the audio. Um, because it works fine with visuals but on the radio when it's really all you've got at times you're just like I've had five minutes I'm oh, and you're just like first fuck say shut the fuck up and move on and,
1: uh, and yeah. so and in the kind of the incestuous links to all Lord of the Rings productions <laughs> yes. is this one's no different in that uh, Frodo and this is played by Ian Hole yep. who plays Bilbo in the Peter Jackson trilogy and in The Hobbit yes and it, he does have quite a young voice, so it's yeah. Uh, the one thing that the one striking difference, if you've seen Lord of, the Lord of the Rings, by Peter Jackson, is in the third one where the ring, after Frodo's rescued by Sam from Shelob, and and Frodo's now feeling the full burden of the ring. It's while uh, Elijah Wood is a little bit sort of. Snidey at times. Yes. Nowhere near the venom that home gives to Frodo in this. Yeah. This is a very darker Frodo, more in line with the, the
0: Yeah, movie. I never really got on with Elijah Woods as in the Hobbit films. I didn't think he was a bad actor, I didn't think he was doing a bad performance. I just um I just didn't feel he had the range to do the role he was asked to do. Uh, which sounds unfair because there's nothing Wrong with his performance? It's perfectly fine. It just didn't. Ha- it just. I just. He didn't quite convince me going from the character at the start to the character at the end, and he just seemed too fresh faced and looked frightened all the time, like too frightened. And i was just like, yeah. You know, whereas I thought the chap playing playing the role in the radio version um, was much better. Ian Holm was just say the
1: same. The the venom that he brought in the third sort of book was fantastic. But the standout uh, performer in in the radio version is uh, Michael Hordern, who plays Gandalf the Grey, or Gandalf Gandahl... the Grey. No, Gandalf, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Michael Hordern is probably known to most of us as uh, Badger from uh, the Cosgrove Hall, Wind in the Willows. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> that's where I've, And he has just a really good gruff voice yeah. that can switch on a dime from jovial and kind to powerful, sinister and threatening, which is what Gandalf does in Lord of the Rings, and absolutely was needed. Yeah, in this. you
0: can believe this Gandalf kind of can properly influence armies and people to make them do pretty much what he wants. Yeah, uh, in, specifically the yeah.
1: scene with Theoden King and one Wormtongue, which is successful, and then when it fails, when he's speaking to uh, Denethor. Yeah. Uh, again, there's another Doctor Who connection to this, because uh, Legolas like is played by David Collins. Yay who yeah. was in uh, Modern Undead and was one of the doctors in The Doctor Who on from Big Finish indeed he was
0: and uh, Sam yeah. is played by Bill Nighy yes which is uh, <laughs> in real shock now it's a much younger Bill Nighy than we're all used to and you have to listen quite carefully to yeah. hear tell it's him even allowing for him having a younger voice um, if you pick up the pattern of the way he talks you can you can tune into it but to be honest, if you didn't know it was Bill Nye, then you wouldn't. You have to listen out to go, oh, hi, that's Bill Nye. Um, which actually, I think, shows that he's actually a more versatile performer than I think he's given credit for. We're all used to Bill Nye doing well. Bill, to Nye. Bill Nye. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that you forget that, no, actually, he's a good jobbing actor.
1: And we also have uh, Bilbo Baggins is played by uh, Dad Army's uh, John LeMazurier. And very good he is too, actually. Yes.
0: So yeah, he's excellent. Um, people again, people forget that uh, he did uh, a lot of work, particularly on BBC Radio. Yes. Um, <laughs> if I got no better from BBC Radio, two months in Dad's Army, all this stuff used to pop up in very distinctive voice. But yeah, I mean overall, I, I do I mean I do have some niggles. I mean you keep uh, what's her face, and uh, that woman, woman, is that Galadriel, her name? Yeah, yeah. I can't stand her. She's push. Um, she just, she just. You know, she just talks fish in the book and then she talks all the same fish in the audio. And I'm she goes, Ah Rodo, I, I I look to these the style I I'll give you this thing to protect you. I'll give, I'll give you some dirt. Yes, you'll have some dirt and if you ever get home without being killed, you'll have the best garden of all. And she just talks shit. Every version sorry, no, every version of the <coughs> stuff she's in, she even pops up, uh, it's not a spoiler, and the, the first film of, of the Hobbit that's just come out. And it's the one scene where you're just like, could you stop talking shite?
1: I think she's alright in the Bakshi version because she's very quick. Yeah, that's the way she
0: should be. She should be seen and not heard.
1: Uh, We do have, again, more Doctor Who alumni. This is the Treebeard. uh, It's played by Stephen Thorne. Oh, which is an
0: utter joy. Stephen Thorne. uh, uh. Stephen Thorne is an actor who does one type of acting. A very really good shouting action, he was in Doctor Who he was Azal, yep, of the Demons. Uh, he was Eldrad II, yep. Hand, uh, yep, yep. Hand of Fear, he was uh, in his best role, Omega oh the first, in the uh, Three Doctors. Yes, and he also uh, played the villain chap in the big finish audio, uh, Guardians of Prophecy, uh, which is the one with the rampaging melkers and he is the evil chap in that, doing exactly the same yeah. splendid performance, and he does the same thing as Treebird, and it's just growing. It's great. I thought it was fantastic. Um, there are many, many people in this who you will know from other things. And uh, there's a
1: few voices that you'll hear, and you'll recognise and go... Yeah. Now, the CD versions that you'll get now uh, obviously have been re-edited and tweaked a little bit, so you'll actually get... You get four CDs, to be perfectly honest. Well, well three in a bit because you get the three books, and you also get a compilation of the musical numbers that pepper the series, particularly from the Elven songs and all that, and some of the battle music. Yeah. What I'll suggest is, don't listen to it. Yeah. It's a drag. Yes. I mistakenly happened to be on a really awful train journey home because Scott Whale are dreadful, and don't put extra coaches on during the Christmas season when you need it. So when I had, in between the, uh, the smell of armpit, Yes. Got teabagged when I got to the end of it, and it's like, ah. So I thought, is this going to be all the appendices and all the stories afterwards? Fantastic. That'd be quite cool. No. No, I've just got this ball song. <laughs> just, it's like, no, how yeah, dare you? I know, I really wish they'd cut the song that long. Now. You, it is fantastic. Yeah, I mean,
0: I I mean, I've had some quibbles, but. Uh, they are quibbles as opposed to moans. If yeah, that makes and sense. And they were. say, I found this more emotional. I was more
1: connected to this emotionally than anything in the three yeah. films. From yeah, Black, and, and it holds up
0: enough that to be honest, you can when you listen to it, you'll understand why no one's really bothered to do Lord of the Rings on the radio since because there really isn't any point. I mean, yes, you could do it in terms of and anti- say, well, thing. yeah, you could do it bit of more modern production techniques or radio where you have music. Uh, you know, underrunning it a bit more, more immersive sound, maybe rewriting it a bit to take out some of the dialogue and the soundscape tell you. But to be honest, it's not really needed because it is good enough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, it's cheap and also turns up in libraries a lot. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse. In fact, it'll cost you less than buying a DVD. Yeah. So experience it. So talking of experiences, uh, we finish up this exciting podcast with the return of a strand which has been missing for quite a while. <laughs> indeed, indeed, uh, one of the things we like to return to occasionally is uh, the leaflet of terror. As so to pre- preface this, Ralph in his, in
1: his real life, away away from the podcast and his internet persona, is a. Is a man that does, does his bit to help other people. I do. I which do. you wouldn't be able
0: to tell from his tweets and <laughs> his comments on the podcast. It's true, uh, I do. Um, and he leads an amazing double life. <laughs> I lead a, a double life of some kind. Uh, so I mean that occasionally I come across uh, publications and leaflets, uh, <laughs> which I feel I should share with the world. So today's leaflet is, and there's some Q&As here. So it's, a, it's called Q&As. So maybe we'll go through it as that we'll ask the Q, some of the cues and see if any knows those that answers, and it'll tell us how good this leaflet is. So the leaflet is Q and A's. What do you know about genital warts? Uh, this is published by the Health Education Board for Scotland, Woodburn House, Cannon Lane, Edinburgh. And I bet the people who wrote this never realised that one day be on a podcast. So Andy, what do you know about? genital warts. You don't want them. You don't <laughs> want to be sticking it in anybody who's got them. I think that's very true, but I think for an educational uh, leaflet, that might not quite have all, all the information that people might need. I, I think that's the,
1: the essential information you need. If, you, if you've got them, then you possibly need more, but my leaflet works good in a, alright, that sounds like good advice. Maybe I'll have that in the questionnaire I use while I'm picking up women at the singles bars. <coughs> I, I'm sure we all have a questionnaire. <laughs> and sure if we. we don't, you should do. That's how you're all dirty and, and crud-invested.
0: No, the leaflet is a nice, calming sort of green colour. and uh, the, No. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It slightly reminds me of sick, I suppose, but calming sick. Now, um... Sick doesn't wait, calm wait. you. That, that photo has a few I don't take pictures of my sick and send them to people. That's not that's not right. Now there are pictures on the front of the leaflet, but they're not on genital warts. There's one of some clouds, uh, one of running water. <laughs> I don't know, that's an extreme close-up of someone doing a sex act, which I don't approve of. Uh, golden showers, not my kind of thing. No. Um, if you like golden showers, that's fine. What you do in the privacy of your own home is up to you. I'm just saying, there's some things I draw the line at. and I just go, he not you know. None of that push Away you go. Literally. Literally. Yes. Uh, the other illustration is of some leaves. What do all these have to do with genital warts? I don't really know. I suppose the leaves could be... Um, what are those leaves that you that you rub on yourself if you've... Uh, got a yeah. yeah, docking leaves. Docking leaves. Maybe they're docking leaves. Maybe they're suggesting if you have a wart, you just get some leaves and you, you rub them on. Maybe. Oh, no, sorry. Dock leaves. Dock is, dock a, dock is a metal band. amazing so, oh, though if they had leaves. <laughs> leave that one on. Uh, so, the first question, Andy, is what causes them? Sleeping with dirty hooves. That's not what it says here. Should be. Uh, it's a virus, and to, to the number of people catching it is increasing. Um, and you can get it in parts of your body, and infection from one part of your body to another is unlikely. So, that's a good sign. So, if you get a, a wart on your NADs, it's unlikely to spread to your armpits.
1: I'd still be upset that I had one on my NADs.
0: How do I get them? Sleeping with dirty whores. That's not what it says here. You can get them by direct skin-to-skin contact. With an infected person. I.e. sleeping with a dirty whore. <laughs> That's not what it tells me here. It tells me that uh, merely by touching my genitals to another person. If I have a wart, I can give it to you. Exactly. So, <laughs> sleeping with dirty whores. I'm, like, I'm just taking the direct approach. If you are your sexual partner or partners... I've been in contact with warts. It's a good idea to seek medical advice. Okay, so that's what you should do. How, how do you know if you have them?
1: My, my balls don't look like they're, they're, they're normal, uh, smooth and smooth and seamless self.
0: In men, they're most commonly found under the foreskin and on the head of the penis, sometimes on the tip of the penis and around the anus. And then there's quotation marks in brackets saying back passage. <laughs> oh that's beautiful. See, to whoever wrote this does have a sense of humour. You do not have to have had anal sex to have warts in this place. And it goes on to tell you where ladies can catch it, but that's not important for you right now. In men, a row of hair like spots is often found under the rim of the aforementioned penis. These are normal and do not require treatment. Skin tags, quite loose flaps of skin, can also be found in the genitals. And yeah, nothing to worry about. I'm Another virus, Molluscum contagiosum.
1: It's a fucking Harry Potter <laughs> spell.
0: <laughs> and that is, give you contagiosum. Uh, it can sometimes cause small lumps that look very much like warts. If you've got any doubts about your spots or lumps, you should see a medical professional. Where do you go for treatment, Andy? I don't have them, so I don't need to no, go anywhere for treatment. There's Stop two. inferring the, the listenership that I have got a dirty cock. <laughs> It's a question and answer leaflet uh, There's two places you can go You can go to your GP A sexual health clinic Or genitourinary Medicine clinic Genitourinary genital medicine That's the one That's the gum Yeah. The gum clinic. Now just to explain what the gum
1: is <laughs> If you happen to live anywhere near the gum yes. Now the one in Edinburgh is not It's uh, it's got a different
0: name. No, but I know where it is. Cause yeah, well, sort of the place place. Near the Blood Donor Place. Yeah. yeah,
1: Friend of mine used to have a, a flat near there. I think going would say a friend of mine used to have. a no. flat there. No, but I thought it was get a good tail it's, there. It's, it's always amusing if you happen to be walking up there to get to get to the flat and see people diving in and diving out because nobody nobody walked out of there, uh, and I'm sure people did walk out with a clean bill of health. Yes. But you didn't see anybody walking out with a smile and, and kind of like a swagger. It was always kind of a <laughs> a slightly resigned and dejected look about them.
0: I can understand that. Andy, how were they treated? What do you well, the, think? Well, the people in the gun clinic? No, imagine, no, no! Imagine with, 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 uh, with gear, with, with gloves <laughs> and, and some kind of stick. At present there is no real cure for the virus. Just a bit of shit really. Um, there are wart, inverted commas, uh, paints or compounds available from pharmacies over the counter. <laughs> For the treatment of hand in foot warps, but they should not be used because genital skin is very sensitive and you could damage yourself with these paints. <laughs> Fantastic. What are you what are you
1: gonna paint like you know paint it white and think, make them think you've got to get a damnation's cock or something?
0: The bad news, however, uh, is that stubborn warts can take several months before they disappear completely. So that's why those people look so unhappy when they come <laughs> to. Come, like, uh, so we've got uh, we've got three more questions uh, to conclude this information uh, section of the podcast. Do genital warts cause an abnormal smear test? Obviously, it's a question for the ladies, but you might know this from your general knowledge. let's uh, see. Aye. A smear tests are taken from from women with genital warts. At least one in four will be abnormal. So there. Yes. Not for that to be wonderful, but just for me getting get the question right. Any woman with a history of having had genital warts or having had a, par- a sexual partner who has them is advised that regular smears carried out, as should all women. So that's, that's good information to know. It's true. We'll we um, make a joke about that. That's a... Are warts dangerous during pregnancy, do you think? Yes. In some women, genital warts become larger in pregnancy, but often, within seven weeks of delivery of the baby, become smaller or even disappear. The risk of passing the virus to the baby either during pregnancy or at the delivery is very small. That will be of, you know, good knowledge for people, particularly those who live in government. Uh, the last question is, how, now this is probably the most important one for you to know, so this is the most important piece of information in the leaflet, and mm-hmm. I think it's wise you put it at the end of the leaflet so this can really hammer on the message. How do I stop passing them on? i having sex with that, girl. Not quite what it says. In like fact, the word horse isn't mentioned in any point <laughs> <laughs> uh, here. It's a leaflet. Condoms are recommended while you're having treatment and for the few months after. Good hygiene practices should be employed, particularly for any contact in an infected area. Genital works could possibly be split to children from items such as. <laughs> from items such as towels, sponges, and face cloths. Therefore, these items. Why
1: are you wiping your <laughs> <color> with <laughs> a face cloth? <laughs>
0: Seriously, <laughs> the name kind of gives it away.
1: If I'm going in, and it's like, that's the one for your face. My face smells a bit like sweat. <laughs> ah! <Well, laughs> you have you'd, you'd have another cloth for, for cleaning you the would, precision
0: areas. But remember, the world is full of stupid people. Well, and they, might so. they, might, they might call that their face, I don't know. Uh, so these items should not be shared, okay, says here.
1: No, I don't plan on uh, And it just
0: concludes with, genital warts are very common, but the way you feel about them, and being in contact with them, is important. Some people have said that they feel dirty, dejected, or undesirable. Although this is a normal response, and it's quite unnecessary, it's worth remembering that infection can happen to anyone. A doom-laden bit mm-hmm. So... I hope you feel better informed about genital warts, and I hope the listeners now know what they look like, what to do about it, and how to stop getting them. A job well done, I feel. So that concludes uh, the uh, first uh, exciting uh, podcast yeah. of 2013. Yeah, and for all of you that uh,
1: were having mad, crazy sex at New Year and it's a little bit too late for, oops.
0: Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear for you. That's why you shouldn't drink too much at that time here. Yep. So we're gonna take a bow uh, for the moment and we'll return. Uh,
1: we haven't forgot, we do still have a couple of items on the slate. We still have the last two installments of the
0: Cuddly Collar retrospective. Yep, we still get to do that. Yep. yep as well as the other ones I can't remember no I think that's it because, Okay. Uh, we've gone past Christmas we've, we've already done the Christmas special that we're about to record you've already heard that concludes another exciting on running narrative it's true I can't uh, remember. and at
1: this point in time I have no, no horrible parcels that have been inflicted on me by the silent members So it's
0: true so uh, no bad news for Phil so it's goodbye we've already told you where you can find us yep so goodbye farewell, farewell.